The truth is God is real, the devil is real, and there is so much more going on than we may even realize. Regardless if you're a believer or not, or if church is part of your regular routine, or even if you're not sure what to believe, the fact is your life is part of a much bigger fight. A fight for our homes, marriages, classrooms, souls, and our lives. This is war. Come on, everybody, help me welcome all of our guests. We're so glad to have you guys with us. All right, hey, before we get into the message, I wanna talk to you about something we have coming up this fall. You know, right now, the time of the year, we're all uh, getting so excited that high school is about to be over and that college just got finished. So some of you maybe aren't thinking yet, what are you gonna be doing this fall? So I wanna highlight something that we're doing here. We started our internship last year, college internship called The Experience. That means this fall we'll be having our second incoming class. And I'm so excited for what God does in these young people's lives. I don't know if you've noticed, but some of the folks that are up here on stage are actually going through The Experience and what they've been learning over the past year has been pretty amazing. It's been great to watch them grow. So, hey, if you aren't 100% sure what you're doing in the fall, like some of you, you've got your plans, you already know. Some of you are still praying about it, still thinking, still wondering what God might want for you. Uh, maybe some of the parents in the room, you're wondering what your student is doing in the fall. And uh, either way, no matter what's, what the question is, uh, our internship is in partnership with Mana University. So what that means is this could actually be the first year of college if you were to pursue that in the degree path. But it also could just be a great year for you to learn about what God wants in your life, who God is, who you are. Uh, great time to just learn more about your gifts and, and what your calling could be. So uh, if you're still praying through some things, I'd encourage you to think about that. For those of you that are here in the building today, we have someone from Mana University as well as some folks from our staff that are in the lobby ready to talk to you, answer any questions that you may have. If you're online, uh, simply Email, that's what we're doing. We're emailing what goes on the screen right there, internship at gracelife.church, and uh, we'll answer your questions as well and help you find out if this is the right move for you this fall. Well, if you are a guest, today we are wrapping up a series. It's part six of a series we've been doing on spiritual warfare. I don't know about you, I'm a little bit sad to see this go. This has been fun, preaching this series. And uh, just backstage a minute ago, as I was getting ready to walk out, because it's the last service of the last part of the series, Savannah said to me, well, spiritual warfare is over. I thought, I wish that were true, y'all. I wish, I wish if I could just wrap up the series, we could just end it all. So anyway, today is the final part of this. If you've missed any of it, it is online, it is on our app, because what we're doing is building each week on something we've said before. It's really important for you to have all six parts, for you to have a good theological understanding so we started the series off, part one, very simple understanding. There is a war, you're in it. It's a no civilian war. None of us are watching, we're in it. You are either a prisoner in the kingdom of darkness or you are a soldier in the kingdom of God. Those are the only two choices. Even if you don't think so, that's what the Bible tells us. We're all involved in this. And so the good news of part two was to let us know this is not between God and the devil, good and evil, just two equal sides. No, 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 God sits alone at the top. God has no rival. Uh, the devil does not compare. Yeah, that is worth celebrating. I'm so glad some of you have figured out that's a wor worship-worthy statement, right? And so you would think, wait a minute, God has no rivals. Satan is not on the same line. So that's the end of the series then. What, what, where were the other parts? Well, I wish it were that easy. 
Because what we learned in part three is that we actually are the ones that give Satan his authority and his power. We're the ones that throughout all of human history, we have chosen our ways or the world's ways or the devil's ways, which by the way, those were synonyms for all the devil's ways. Because anything that's not God's way gives the devil permission to operate in our lives and in our world. And so part three, your takeaway was give the enemy no right. Part four, we had a good friend of mine, Brian Allred, who is the founder and uh, leader of America Praise and World Praise and came and shared with us how prayer is our weapon in spiritual warfare. And if you were here for part four, I reminded you, or actually I asked you, we took a moment, we prayed for Brian and Mercy's daughter. Uh, her name is Chloe. And she's been suffering undiagnosed pain uh, that they say is just a 10 on a 10 all the time uh, ever since he agreed to start uh, world praise, and so still waiting to see God answer that prayer. And I've asked you to be praying for Chloe. I hope that you, you still are anytime that she comes to mind every day. If, if we could fight as a family together, like the song we were just singing, I'll fight on my knees, right? So if we could join with them and, and continue to fight for Chloe, like I said, I'll tell you when to stop. I'll tell you when we get the report that this five-year uh, ordeal has come to an end. But it's our weapon, and we're gonna use it. Amen? And then part five, we came together last week to, to kind of talk about, well, how do we deal with the devil? It turns out the devil has an incredibly simple playbook. He's got six things that he likes to do. We should know what they are. The Bible tells us that we are not unaware of his schemes. We can see what he's up to. And if we can see it, then we don't have to take the bait. We can, we can uh, avoid what he is trying to do in our lives. And so we're gonna put all of that to work and bring it all together and wrap up the series today with this, stand firm. We can stand firm. The devil is not gonna win, not gonna push us around. And uh, you know, as we've been doing this series on spiritual warfare, I thought it would be good to conclude the series with celebrating a victory of spiritual warfare. Like we said, everybody is born in the kingdom of darkness and then rescued into the kingdom of God when they make Jesus their king. So I thought you'd wanna know, just over the last five weeks while we were doing this series, 13 people were rescued from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God during our worship services here. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. And uh, 17 got baptized also during that time, so I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure the devil hates that, and I love when the devil hates what we do. So sticking with this analogy of a soldier, uh, you know, we are here at Fort Jackson. Some of our folks online are all around the world, but here at Fort Jackson, it's very easy for us to look around and usually tell who is in the military. They've got, they've got like a uniform and they've got some gear and they usually have a haircut. I'll be honest, ladies, you get to trick us a little bit. The guys though, man, we can tell, we can tell. And um, so the question is, if we're soldiers, is God as good to us as the army is to them? I mean, that was not a trick question, y'all. Is, is God better than the army? Yes. So that means that God also gives us a uniform and he gives us the gear that we need for the spiritual war. The truth is God has given us everything that we need not only to survive, but actually to have ultimate victory in this. And so what we're gonna look at today is one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible. Definitely one of the most famous passages on spiritual warfare. The problem with this passage is it's a, a metaphor. It's a picture. And because it's a metaphor, it usually gets used a lot in at youth ministry. And like youth pastors preach on it all the time and they get all dressed up with the picture and act it out. But adults, we struggle sometimes with this picture because, well, it's just a picture. 
And as a result of that, we don't take it seriously enough. And even though I just told you it's a metaphor, I'm also going to say, I don't think we take it literally enough because that is how it was intended. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter six. We're gonna start in verse 10. Again, that's Ephesians six, verse 10. Don't worry, it's gonna be on the screen uh, if you just want to follow along right there. And so this is the final part of a letter that Paul has written to the church in Ephesus. And to give you a little bit of context, what's important to know about Ephesus, this was not in Israel where God's people were. This is the point where the gospel has started to spread throughout the world, and it has come to a very pagan city called Ephesus. And it was, it's really a marvelous city. The, the things they accomplished and built were great. And how many of you know any time humanity makes a big deal out of itself, they're not making a big deal out of God? And it's a beautiful city. I've had the privilege of walking through and seeing some of the ruins. But the point is they, they had one of the world's greatest libraries dedicated to knowledge, right? Human knowledge. They, they had a temple to Artemis and a temple to this and a temple. They had all these amazing temples. And so what Paul was writing about was how their world was gonna be a little more challenging to see the gospel infiltrate this pagan world because there was so much darkness in the spiritual environment that was pushing back against them as, as believers in this city. And so Paul finishes his letter to them with this picture of how to stand firm. And so he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And, and I just wanna remind you, we've said it throughout the series, we're gonna say it multiple times today, this is not a fist fight between us and the devil. That's not what it's about. It's about him. It's about us surrendering to him and reminding the devil who he is and what he's done. And when we can enforce his might in our lives and in this world, it's, it's all over. That's what it is all about, is being strong in his might, not, not trying to get you know, our own fight going on. So his answer for this, he says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Who do we wrestle against? Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We talked earlier in the series how there is a spiritual realm, there's a natural realm. They come together to make up one reality. Even though we know there is this spiritual realm and even though as believers we are citizens of a spiritual kingdom, way too often we live very naturally focused lives, don't we? We get so upset about whether or not we are late for work or how traffic is and what is the weather like and if we have a flat tire and if our lunch is on time or if it's cooked right. Or... Those are our normal thoughts all throughout a day. How often do we stop and think, hmm, I wonder what angels are doing right now. I wonder what demons are up to here in Columbia right now. And as he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood we need to remember why he's saying that to us because, well, we do. We shouldn't. That's what he's trying to say, but we do. We wrestle against flesh and blood. We shouldn't. We should, every time that we get into these people issues and these life circumstances and things are going on and you, you, you go to work and you think that your boss is like Satan in a suit and you go to a family reunion and you think your aunt is Satan in a dress, and then on a bad day, you come home and you see your spouse. And I see, I didn't finish that one. <laughs> That's on you. 
But when we're having all of these people issues, I, I, I want us to, to start to ask a question. Instead of being upset with everybody else and saying, they're my problem and how dare you treat me that way? How dare you say that and then slam the door and don't talk to them for two days? Instead of wrestling against flesh and blood, why don't we start to ask the question, what is going on spiritually behind what I see naturally if I do not wrestle against flesh and blood? If what I'm really dealing with is not what's in front of me, then maybe that's the question I should start to ask. Why am I having so many problems with my boss and my last boss and the boss before that and the boss before that? I don't know. I mean, there could be like a common thread in here somewhere. Maybe I just need to stop and ask the question. When my marriage is not working, what is the devil after? Oh, he's after my marriage. Oh, wow. I, seriously? Like, did we forget that? I mean, it started in the beginning, trying to drive a wedge between Adam and Eve, and he's been doing it ever since. If he can drive a wedge between a husband and a wife, between parents and children, he can destroy the family. It's what he's been doing from the beginning. So then maybe we can say, wait a minute, honey, I just, I just got reminded, you're not the problem. The devil is up to something, and if we could get on the same page and wrestle against him instead of each other, we need to learn to ask the question, What's going on spiritually behind what I am seeing in front of me? Because we wrestle against spiritual forces of evil. Now, I want to give you another side of that because, look, if the devil's working, I want you to know God is working. God does not sit by and go, oh, this will be a fun little show. Let me watch this. No, no, no. If the devil is trying to attack you, God is trying to work and protect you, and God is doing something in your life. So sometimes we need to ask the question, what is the devil after? Other times we need to be asking more importantly, what is God up to? Because when you are having a problem with this boss and the boss before and the boss before and the boss before and you think that it's just everybody being a jerk, it might be God saying, hey, you got a little bit of a character issue we need to talk about. You know, laziness that keeps getting you fired is not a godly trait. And so instead of being mad at your boss because they are upset you didn't turn in the report on time and you don't understand why they can't just keep giving you extra days. Not a trophy for every kid, sorry, y'all. But he says, we will wrestle. Before we go on, just think about that word for a minute. He didn't say we launch rockets from afar. The reason that's important is to realize spiritual warfare is very up close and personal. Like, it's gonna get real. What the devil is gonna do is he's gonna come after you at the most intimate, closest parts. He's gonna come after your family. He's coming after your marriage. He's coming after your soul. He's not out there. Spiritual warfare is not just this idea of a demon and an angel up in a realm that you can't see. No, 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 he's, he's, he's attacking up close and, and wrestling. I had to wrestle in PE class in like middle school. And, you know, when you get wrestled, like, if people are sweaty, you get their sweat on you, you know? Like, my wrestling career was very short because I don't like other people's sweat. I just, I don't need anything to do it. I'm gonna go take a shower just from even talking about this, you know? But it's, it's up close and personal. And, and if, if you've got, yeah, enough about the wrestling. We're just gonna go on. And so Paul comes back and says, therefore, since you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having 
done all to stand firm. Wait a minute, Paul, I thought you just said that. He did just say that. He said, take up the whole armor of God so that you're knowing what the schemes of the devil are because you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand. See, when somebody repeats themselves like that, they're making the point, this is important. And, And in my experience, I know what Paul is repeating it for. Because most Christians that I've met as a pastor do not wear the whole armor of God. Matter of fact, some of us don't even know what the whole armor is. Some of us struggle to wear some of the armor of God. And so as we're going through this, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you which part of the armor you struggle with most. And and that's what we're gonna be talking about in our life groups this week when you get together with your life group. Talk about where you are struggling to put on the whole armor of God. And so he ends that with saying, so that having done all, you can stand firm. Then he begins to describe this image of this armor, which his first word again is gonna be stand. And so before we go any further, I want to point out he keeps using this word stand. He's not just saying, hey, stand up, man, get off the couch. What he's saying is to endure in a fight. He's talking about to take a stance. And that's why he keeps using this word stand, stand firm, stand all throughout this. Now, 2,000 years ago, This was the greatest sermon illustration. And Paul was, I I could imagine him writing this thing like, man, I'm gonna kill it when I get up and preach. They're gonna be like, whoa, this is awesome because it's a visual image they see every day. I'm gonna connect every dot for them and it's gonna be beautiful. For you and me, we're gonna have to use our imagination or at least remember like junior high history class when we studied the Roman Empire. You see, for them, 2,000 years ago, there was a Roman soldier everywhere. The whole world, the known world, was conquered by the Romans. And so as he's about to give this metaphor, this mental picture of a Roman soldier, they got it. They were going, oh, I'm with you, Paul. I get it. Yes, I see that. I know exactly what that is. You and I were going to have to imagine that just a little bit. I thought about actually like having one of those costumes and like putting it on as I go, but I thought y'all would like not hear another word I said once I started getting dressed in some get up anyway. So here you go. He says, look, stand therefore, again, stand, having fastened on the belt of truth, the first thing. And so you ever been fooled on April Fool's Day? Anybody, anybody ever, somebody got you really good on April Fool's Day? There we go. See, here's the, the, the way that you never get fooled on April Fool's Day. It's really simple. Know what they're saying is a lie. You see, the problem is sometimes they're really convincing and maybe we didn't read the news that morning on April 1st, which is how we forgot it was April 1st. And when somebody comes and goes, hey, did you hear? We're like, oh, no, oh my. Oh, and then they, they laugh at us because, see, we didn't realize what they were saying was a lie. And remember, the Bible tells us that Satan is the father of lies, except Jesus is the truth. Y'all remember that one? Now, here's what's really important about this picture when he says, put on a belt of truth. A lot of us, if you have ever seen a picture of a a Roman soldier, we're imagining Paul is describing an accessory. It's that big leather belt goes around the waist and it's gonna hook their sword and all that stuff to it in a minute. But it's more than an accessory. Matter of fact, some of your versions actually have translated it differently because the, the Greek language, although it gets translated as put on a belt, what it really means is to gird up your loins. And so for a Roman soldier back in the day, they they had loose clothing and robes and, you know, everything. And so what would happen, you get into a a battle and you might trip over your own robe. 
And you couldn't run very fast because the robe and stuff would be tangling up and different things. And so before they actually put on all of the rest of the armor, the first thing that they had to do was get everything tight that was, that was flowing and moving. They had to make sure that you were ready to jump or run or fight or do whatever it was. And so this idea of gird up your loins was more than just put on a cute little belt, but it was actually to get everything else ready to be added to it. It was the foundation because if, if you didn't get this part done right, then your sword may fall off or everything else would, would come loose. You would trip over your own stuff right in the middle of the fight. The foundation, and Paul calls it, was truth. And again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And one of the things that we like to do as believers, we like Jesus, he's cool, so we like to kind of like get right about here, and we like go, I like Jesus and what he said, so I'm just gonna read this. This will be it, this will be good. The problem is Jesus says, the Bible says that Jesus is this in the flesh. And, and Jesus said, I, I didn't come to erase this. Actually, what I did was to come and fulfill this, every single word of it. And a lot of times, we just want to get rid of some of these things and we say, well, we don't really like them. The problem is, and I'm gonna get myself in trouble. So my email address is kentfancher at gracelife.church. <laughs> so with that being said, now I'm gonna get myself in trouble. Because Paul did not say, fasten on the belt of your opinion. Paul did not say, fasten on the belt of cultural thinking. Paul did not say, fasten on the belt of progressive Christianity. Paul said, fasten on the belt of truth. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You can't just keep these four little books in the middle because Jesus said that he and the Father are one and every other page in here is a revelation of the Father to us. This is our source of truth. It has to be. Without this, we have absolutely nothing else. Once we have the belt of truth, he says, then having put on the breastplate of righteousness, your theology moment, this big Righteousness word, church word, you know, you may say, I don't really wanna have to define that. I'm gonna make it easy for you. Righteousness is a word that simply means in a state of being right with God. It means that we are declared to be right with him. And so your theology moment is that for everyone who is a believer, not just they believe Jesus lived and they go to church. So let me define that a little bit. For everyone who has declared Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, for everyone who has said, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Some version of those words. When that happens, there is an exchange in the spiritual realm. At that moment, in the, the courtroom in the heavenlies, if you'll allow me to use that image, it's the one in, that the Bible uses. Our heavenly Father, who is also the righteous judge, takes a gavel and declares, right with me by the blood of Jesus. He hits and says, Kendrick, right with me. Scott, right with me. And we are legally right with God. There is a breastplate of righteousness that then is our uniform, that when the father looks at us, what he sees is the clothing of his son. He no longer sees our sins. He no longer sees what separated us. He sees what his son did on the cross and us being right with him. We are legally right. The problem with the breastplate of righteousness, there are two. 
The first problem is for someone who has never actually made Jesus their king. Someone who's never, maybe you've been to church a hundred times, but you've never said, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, you need to understand you don't have this part of your armor. You, you can go in the closet and, and, and look. You, you can find a belt of truth. You can begin to believe and read, and you're like, okay, that's awesome. That's there, and we'll get to other parts of the armor in a minute, and you, you may have that sitting on a shelf, but you don't have this one. And if you were to ask any soldier, if you were to watch two soldiers about to go into a battle, and you tell one of them, hey, the guy that you're about to go shoot is not wearing body armor. The largest target is uncovered. That soldier is gonna be like, this is about to be a short day. That's gonna be easy, are you kidding me? And the devil is saying, without Jesus, we make his job really easy. So the good news is before we're done today, if that's you, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to change that and get righteousness as your breastplate. Now, the second problem some of us have are those who we legally have the breastplate of righteousness. We are what people call Christians. We have made Jesus our Lord and Savior. The problem, though, for us sometimes is what we wear on the outside doesn't always match the person inside. We can be right with God legally, but not always right relationally because we sometimes choose our own ways over God's ways, like things like not forgiving. When we choose not to forgive, it breaks our relationship with God a little bit. And see, the problem is we are supposed to match the clothes we wear. Let me give you a silly illustration. Let's imagine this fall, I stand up here and I preach, and uh, then I run off to Charlotte real fast and get into an NFL uniform to help out the Panthers because they need some help anyway. God bless them, right? You know, And if y'all could imagine me in an NFL uniform, I mean... That would just be funny because, you know, if you've never seen me in person, like up close and in person, I'm only 5'5". Five five. The stage and, and everything makes me look big. It's funny because people come to me all the time in the lobby and go, oh, I thought you were taller. <laughs> but anyway, so for those of you online, I'm only 5'5". Five five and, you know, in the NFL, they've, they, I mean, this would, like the helmet would just like rattle, you know, and, and the shoulder pads would like come out to here and the shirt would look like a dress because they've got like biceps, like the size of my legs, you know? And, <laughs> and it would be a hysterical sight. It would be easy for me to trip over it, to have all kinds of, I mean, it would be like, no, seriously, who's putting this guy out there? And that's the same thing the devil thinks. He's like, you guys make my job so easy because what's in doesn't match what's on the outside. You recognize Jesus died for you. You just hadn't figured out yet you're supposed to be living for him. And you keep opening all kinds of doors. Go back to part three of the series. And then Paul continues and he says, and as for shoes, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And I wanna come back to what we've been talking about. This is not a battle of strength between us and the devil. No, it's, it's something completely different. This is almost a weird phrase and scholars argue about it a lot because Paul talks about your feet and your readiness, all of which come from the gospel, what, you're, what you have on your feet and your readiness. And so the, the interpretation that I think is the best one is the idea that this is preparing you for the fight, that this is about your readiness for the fight and mainly it is about your stance toward the fight. 
You ever watched one of those movies where like a, a small person flips a really big person over on their back only because they had like the right stance? And you know, sometimes like you've ever watched Rocky or some other things, you find out like the footwork really matters. So here's the point. When we get ready to face the devil, what he's saying is that the gospel provides us with a stance that we don't need to be worried about beating up the devil. We need to be standing here saying, come on, because I'm gonna remind you who Jesus is. Because see, the gospel, it gives me the power to just stand, not move. You can try, you can bring it on, but I'm gonna remind you of the one who walked out of the tomb and winked at you because you thought you had him beat. See, he lives in me, and it's about to be an ugly day for you. See, it's called not backing down. It's the stance provided by the gospel. There you go. That's what we need to wake up to and remember. You guys with me? We need to wake up every day and think. It's more than just little old me the stance given to me by who Jesus is and what he's done. Remember that we were said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities. You know, the Bible also tells us that Jesus conquered all of those rulers and authorities and sits above them, putting them to open shame. We just gotta have our stance. Like, I'm not backing down. Have you not heard the gospel devil? Let me tell you about it. I mean, listen, he doesn't want any part of that. He's gonna be gone. So then Paul goes on, he says, and in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Your nerd moment of the day is that the Roman army was uh, one of the few armies that put all of their money into good shields. Uh, other armies would go with cheaper shields that were made out of wood, but Rome took the money to have metal shields. And so Paul's image here, as they're looking at a Roman soldier compared to some other smaller village armies or whatever, they're going, oh, wait a minute, I know the difference. The difference is those Roman, they have big metal shields. And here's the point. As the devil is launching those flaming darts, if you just stand there and you hold up your shield, they just bounce off. Because at some point, they're gonna run out of those arrows. They don't have unlimited resources. Y'all remember what we learned about the devil? They doesn't have unlimited resources. So you get your metal shield of faith, which is what a Roman soldier had, and all of those little lies of the devil just bounce off. Hey, you know what? God isn't coming through. Yeah, just hit the shield, man. Hey, God doesn't love you. Just hit the shield, man. Hey, nobody could, God could never forgive somebody who does the kind of stuff you do. Just hit the shield, man. It's all good. Hey, you know what? You're gonna lose your job and God's not gonna provide for your family. It's all right, man. Just hit the shield. That's the way it's supposed to work. The problem is there are way too many Christians today that still have a shield made out of wood. And every one of those flaming darts so easy to burn because their shield is made out of theology that says, my life is supposed to be easy. I'm supposed to be happy. And it's God's job to enforce that. And so when they're having a bad day, it doesn't take much before that shield of faith is torched. It's hard to stand against the devil with that. Then he says, take on the helmet of salvation. I love this one. It's a beautiful picture because, well, if you get hurt in the head, it's usually a fatal wound, right? I mean, a sword, battle axe, spear, anything like that to the head, it's probably done for you. And so Paul gives us this idea that it's our salvation that protects us against a fatal wound. Helmet of salvation. You say, well, wait a minute, how does that make any sense, Jimmy? What's well, like this? I had a friend of mine who was uh, going through cancer and didn't exactly know how that was gonna turn out. The prognosis, it was too early to, to know what was going on. Obviously, if you've ever been there, it's a, a scary thing. And so I was asking him, hey man, how are you doing? And he said, well, 
You can't kill me. I'm going to heaven. You see, that's the helmet of salvation. You can't have a fatal wound if you can't be killed. And when we look at everything that says, well, you know, I mean, you, you might like interrupt life on earth, which for the record, let me just make sure another theology lesson here, not in my notes, but the devil cannot take you out. God is in charge of your days upon the earth. But the, the point to that is, as we're looking at our helmet of salvation, our security is in the fact that if we leave this world, we simply enter a better one. Jesus actually called it entering life. He's like that miserable little temporary existence y'all had down there was a prelude to the real thing. And y'all get all upset about the number attached to that little thing down there on earth. And, and we, we go freaking out. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna die. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna end up where like the streets are made of gold and I'm like hanging out with angels and I get to see Jesus face to face. So I know God actually answers my prayer cause we're gonna do it over coffee. And then I get like a body that's finally six feet tall and the food is amazing. It has no MSG and it doesn't make me fat and I can walk through walls, but I don't wanna die. See, the helmet of salvation is, it ain't about this. This is temporary. Therefore, you cannot inflict a fatal wound. The only thing you can do is improve my living conditions. So bring it on. And then the final part, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I have tried to make a point throughout the series, if you haven't noticed. I have not been redundant because I didn't know what was in my notes. I didn't just keep repeating myself meaninglessly, but I've been trying to make the point that without the truth of the word of God, spiritual warfare is irrelevant. You've, you've lost from the beginning. Matter of fact, I think this is the reason so many believers do struggle in spiritual warfare because you're supposed to start with putting on the belt of truth and so many lose right at that point. And I know some people have questions I know, you know, science teachers and history teachers and, and, and not only that, just yourself. Have you ever read this thing and had like, what? I mean, come on, I have those moments all the time and I'm like a pastor, like a Bible degree, you know? And I'm just like, I gotta go do some research. That doesn't make any sense. It's okay to have questions. You just need to know that there are answers. And you can either go look for them or you can come and ask and you can find them. And, and once again, I want to remind you, we did a series about a year ago, put a lot of research into it, academic intellectual research, also had a scientist help me present the series. It's called The Bible. We did that so it would not be hard for you to find to help you answer some of those questions because we have to have truth to stand on. We have to have the word of God because I don't know if you noticed throughout that entire illustration that we just did, Everything else is a defensive part of our armor. This is the only weapon that God has given us. And there's actually an exchange between the devil and Jesus. After Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness and they began a conversation, and you know what Jesus said? Stuff in here. And you know what the devil said back to Jesus? stuff in here. It's like they were having like a Sunday school Bible verse quote off kind of thing going on there. Here's the point. If the devil knows the manual for spiritual warfare better than us, we are at a serious disadvantage. If somebody told me, Jimmy, you've got to go into battle and everybody over there is shooting at you, 
I don't know about you, I'm gonna take the only weapon I have with me. I'm not leaving it behind. This is the only book, the only source that tells you God loves you so much he sent his son to die for you without this. This is the only book that tells you you were uniquely made by God for great works upon the earth, that your life is not meaningless. This is it. This is the only one that tells you you can be forgiven. It's the only one that tells you you can have eternal life based upon what God has done for you. If we start to throw this out, then everything is gone. We have nothing if we don't have the word of God. And then Paul ends with praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Some people try to debate that Paul was adding this onto the Roman soldier as an extra part of the armor, but if you look at it, it doesn't correlate to a piece of armor at all. And I think that's because prayer is not part of the armor. Rather, prayer empowers the one in the armor. You see, if you remember when Brian Allred talked to us about prayer in part four, he told us prayer takes you places you can't go and does things you can't do. You ever watched one of those old war movies when they get themselves pinned down into a bad position and you hear, get on the radio and call in air support. So that's what prayer is. Prayer is when you find yourself in a place that you can't do anything and you go, God, help! We do that a lot. We're actually pretty good at, God, help! Started when we were in seventh grade algebra class. Then when we were in college, every time you see blue lights behind you, we're real good. God, help! You look at the bank statement at the end of the month. You know, there is more to prayer than waiting until you're pinned down in a bad position. That's so why Paul says, pray at all times, not just when you find out the battle isn't going your way. At all times, we should be saying, God, how you doing? Anything you want to say? I'm listening. Say, so, hey, God, what do you think about my life right now? You, you know, I was thinking of going to the right. Should I go to the left? What do you think? Should I go forward? Should I go backward? What do you think, God? Hey, God, I seem to be having a lot of problems with my bosses. You want to say something about that? Anything you're trying to do in my life? Praying at all times. Look, it is great to call down legions of angels when you find yourself in a situation. There, there's nothing wrong with that. God is your healer. God is your provider. God is your heavenly father. God loves you. God is gonna show up. He is your rescuer. He's, one of his names is that he is uh, our banner going into battle. Look, he's happy for you to call upon him. But I think he also loves when his children just wanna talk. Praying it all the time all the time, not, not just the bad times. And so I'm gonna bring this series to a close with one final verse. It's not out of Ephesians, but it was written by one of the disciples, the one who actually claims to be the one Jesus loved the most. So we're gonna, we're gonna assume this is a, a pretty solid statement because you're not gonna remember every detail of every six parts of what we've talked about in this series. But if you can remember this verse, if you can wake up every day and put this verse into practice. 
you're gonna win most of the battle of spiritual warfare just on this one verse. It comes out of 1 John 4, 4. It says, little children, you are from God. And since you are from God, you have overcome. And because you are from God and have overcome, there's a reason. You wanna know why that is? Because he who is in you, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And I think the thing the devil fears the most is that we will, we will believe that. That we'll figure it out. That we'll wake up one day and say, hey, it's Jimmy. And that's got, yeah, got a little bit, not a whole lot. But instead, if you wake up and go, hey, it's the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ is here. Bring it on, whatever you got today, devil, because I'm just going to reveal to you the one who already beat you. I'm ready for this. I've got this. The one who is in me is greater than you, so I don't care what you think you're going to do. Whatever you're bringing, I've got this. I'm surrendered to my king. I'm living life the way he wants, so you've got no opportunity, so I've got no reason to fear you. Greater is he who is in me. It's the number one thing I think the devil fears is when the children of God figure out who is in them and who he really is. Yeah. Well, I told you before we ended today, I would make sure those of you that had never surrendered to Jesus, you had never made him your king and you thought, well, that's just about going to church. It's just church rules. No, no, it's about, it's about having the breastplate of righteousness. It's about being declared legally right with God in the heavens, knowing that you're forgiven and knowing that you have eternal life. If you've never done that, wherever you are, if you're online, kneeling in a living room, if you're in this room right now, would everybody just pray with me and say something like this to yourself and to God? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And I ask you now, fill me with your spirit. Help me to declare that greater is in me than he who is after me. And my simple prayer is that you give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen, amen. Everybody help me celebrate with those people.